you know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. I want you to get your uh, cooking apron on because we're going to be doing a little bit of work here in the kitchen as we get inspired for this week's guest. I'm going to bring on a friend of mine. It's a name you may not recognize if you live outside of St. Louis, but after you hear this woman's story and you hear her heart and you hear what she's doing through her work and her life today, it's one you're never going to forget. So normally I would spend quite a bit of the introduction talking about the successes of the individual that I brought on. I would talk about how Katie Collier is a renowned chef, how she is a successful entrepreneur, how she's an awesome visionary. I might even tell some of the stories around the mistakes the guests have made leading them forward, some of the addictions that they might have been part of, some of the difficult dark places that has led them to. But instead of really going through her story, and I know I just gave you a whisper of it, I'm just going to let you know that this woman has a remarkable business, and I would not have her on our podcast if that's what this was about. She has an amazing story of overcoming addiction, of leaning into her network, of hitting rock bottom, bouncing forward, and then drawing others up with her. Whether you love pizza whether you love being an entrepreneur, whether you want to grow your own business, you want to ignite your own dream, you want to find sobriety, you want to rekindle an old relationship, there is something in this episode, I promise, for you. So my friends, today we celebrate a woman who is celebrating in her own life 12 years of sobriety, three successful launches of various restaurants in St. Louis, a nationwide booming frozen pizza delivery service, and many, many, many countless lives impacted positively along the way. So here's what I want you to do. Step out of the kitchen. I know, stop cooking for just a moment. Grab your favorite Live Inspired journal, your favorite pen. Get ready to buckle up for a wild ride as I bring on a person that I look up to. Her name is Katie Collier. Katie Welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hi, thank you for having me. Very, very excited to be here. No, we're, we're the ones excited to partake not only in your business, but your life story. And, you know, I just gave you a nice warm introduction to our Live Inspired community. But if you bumped into somebody at a restaurant or in a grocery store or at a park and you said, hi, my name's Katie. And they said, Katie, tell me about you. 
how would, <laughs> how would you explain who you are and what you do to a new friend? Oh, goodness. Well, um, mother, I have a five-year-old. She's my world, so very involved in her life and love watching her grow. Entrepreneur, business owner, restaurateur. So I've got three restaurants and a frozen pizza company and a huge, wonderful team. We're based out of St. Louis, Missouri, but our frozen pizzas are all over the country and it's really exciting to see that. So yeah, just um, mom entrepreneur, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When you have an answer like that, it begs the individual to say, gosh, you got to tell me more about that, more about the pizza, more about the restaurants, more about the entrepreneurship, more about the So as we celebrate your work on this Live Inspired podcast, I want to learn more about it. I I think it's fascinating that you ended up in a profession that is surefire way to to eventually take a real job because there's no job harder than running a restaurant and you've done it. Now you've done it well for a long time. Yeah, it's been 15 years. It is, I think, the hardest profession, hard to turn a profit, hard to last longer than a year 90 percent don't make it past a year so to have 15 years under our belt three restaurants and um frozen pizza company is really humbling um huge team 300 people so love having that is i think that's my biggest accomplishment is that there's 300 people that we're employing and 300 families and yeah it's very cool and the growth is you know, going to continue. But yeah, very hard. I've been in the restaurant business my entire life. I started um, at a very young age. I have an aunt who is a restaurateur named Zoe Robinson. She opened her first restaurant when I was born in 82. And I looked up to her, worked for her starting around the age of 14, 15. When you're a family member, you get to Right. Start early. There's no child laws. They don't apply to family restaurants. Oh no. Did that and then um didn't I didn't graduate from high school. I dropped out, didn't go to college, and kind of realized I've got very few options. So what have what have I done? What am I good at? I've always been in the restaurant business. I have the entrepreneurial spirit from my father, from my aunt, and think I'm going to go for it. So wrote my first business plan at the age of teen. Yeah. For the restaurant, for this specific restaurant. So knew really early on what I wanted to do and then opened it up at 20. I'm going to back you up a little bit earlier than working for your aunt and the business plan and, and rolling out the first concept that you are now engaged in. Uh, you mentioned one of the guys I'm going to spend some time talking about today. Uh, three letters long. My dad. <laughs> I, so I've been following you online. Of course, the yeah. success that you've built here in St. Louis and now globally, uh, I think it's really cool. And to see someone locally do so well, that's awesome. But one of the reasons undoubtedly is your dad. So just talk yeah. about what your dad taught you, whether it's about work or relationships or life. His work ethic was incredible. He was kind of a jack of all trades. He always hustled. He always worked. He was in the junk business when I was a kid. So salvage and junk. He would go into the city in St. Louis that was um, being torn down and abandoned. It's beautiful architectural buildings and salvage 
the pieces from there. We would go with him on these trips. He'd put doors and fireplace mantles on top of our car, bring them home and sell them um, to dealers that came in from across the country. So having a job like that was very, at the time, hard to process, hard to talk about with my friends as it wasn't glamorous, it wasn't cool, but it taught me so much that you just do whatever it takes to provide for your family. And you just always work really hard. And he always worked for himself. I got to see the freedom in that and what that can do for a person and their spirit. So he taught me a lot about work ethic, about doing it yourself, about doing whatever it takes. And then my father was sober my whole life. Um, he got sober when I was about two. So as I grew up and struggled with my own addiction, I had that person, that important person to kind of guide me through that and show me the way. And I think we follow the patterns of our parents. So had he not been sober, I may have never known about sobriety, maybe never would have had that path. Um, and I owe my entire life to my sobriety. So that was a huge gift. My father was epileptic and had brain damage because of it and had brain surgery and got a lobotomy and the whole thing. So growing up and seeing someone who had this handicap and struggle and still yeah. support his family and still um, go out in the world and do everything that everyone else is doing with that pain and suffering, I think taught me you've got to be grateful for everything you have. And anybody, you know, you, you can really do much more than you think. So, so many lessons there. Awesome. <laughs> he was also a very open book, very vulnerable. I got to see how that affects people. I think people were very attracted to him because no one else is like that. Everyone's got a wall up. And so I got to see how the incredible friendships and connections you can make when you are yourself, when you are mm -hmm. open, when you are vulnerable, when you do say, listen, I've got problems, I'm not perfect. And people are really attracted to that. And so another great lesson, and I carry that on in my leadership with my team is that humility to be able to like talk about everything that's going on. And I think it, it brings a lot of walls down. It has brought down many walls and we'll come back to that in a moment, talking about your team and the way you've led them. Some of the yeah. lessons you've learned that you're applying with them now, but dad's not the only one who instructed you as a child. You learned a lot from him, but you learned quite a bit also from your mother. Talk about yeah. this Renaissance woman, trained <laughs> chef, Washington university leader, all these other things that made your mom who she was. My mother is brilliant. I think she's been tested as a genius. <laughs> She's just so smart. Reads a lot, knows everything about the world, um, art, culture, just a really, but so like sweet and shy and calm and just very present. She's a talented master painter. So she's a professional artist. She has works in museums across the country and new American painters. Uh, she taught for Washington University Fine Art, and then she got this opportunity to run their study abroad program in Florence, Italy. So this was in my late teens, early 20s when this all went down. So I got to go and live with her in her apartment in Florence while she ran the study abroad program. And that kind of brought 
I thought, you know, I always worked in restaurants, but what am I going to do with them? And then when you go to Italy, anybody that goes to Italy <laughs> goes, okay, I know what I'm going to do with it <laughs> because it is the food capital of the world. It's part of their government, culture, schooling, education. It's part of every fabric of that country. And you really appreciate food and hospitality and stories around food and what it can do to people. So I got to go and live with her. Um, but growing up with a mother who's an artist, again, and not, not a traditional job. So I got to see these two people doing things that weren't traditional and succeeding and but doing what they loved. Like I said, what that can do to a person. Yeah. And she's incredible. She's been, my father and I started Katie's Pizza and Pasta together in 2008. And my mother helped me with Katie's when I expanded to Rock Hill and in, in the larger concept. So in 2013, and she's been by my side ever since, which is amazing because you can't trust anyone more than mom. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I've also got my brother, um, Johnny, who is my COO working with me, and he's been by my side. We are very close. We have a great relationship. We've never, ever, ever fought and never had any disagreements like about where the company should go and what it should do. So I know that family businesses can be difficult on families. It's been an incredible experience for us. Mm. So having those people by my side is 100% why we've come this far because you do need people that you can trust and that love you and support you and I've got that. So uh, right behind the camera that you and I are having this conversation on is a wall of podcast guests. And as I look back at this wall, every single one of them not only achieved something monumental, like they did something big in their lives, they also overcame something to do it. And yeah. I, I think that's what attracts me to our guest is not how what they built, it's what they lost along the way, the lessons they learned and how they applied that to build something bigger than themselves. I just love that about people. And I love that about you. And so for our listeners right now, they're thinking, well, good for her, great family. Sounds like Johnny's a good guy. They don't fight about the restaurant. And yet as a young person, you, you struggled mightily with addictions and it started early. Yeah, it started really early. It started at 13. Um, the reason for that, who knows? <laughs> I think, you know, there's family dynamics. There's, it ran in my family. My entire, my father's entire side of his family struggled with addiction. My brothers are both sober as well. Um, so it started at 13, just incredibly insecure kid. And I know all kids at 13 are, but couldn't figure out how to deal with the world without using. And so I started then and quickly got me, I dropped out of high school at 14, um, began working and restaurant business is the perfect place for addiction to kind of grow and breed. I was attracted to that big drinking and drug culture in most restaurants and which we're trying to break that with our company. Um, and just struggled immensely. Eventually, I talk about this a lot, but eventually I opened this restaurant at 24, could not handle the, the stress, the success, the all of it, all of that energy, and began sort of a downward spiral where I lost 
Um, I was kicked out of the restaurant. Family kind of said, we're done, friends done, and ended up homeless, with nowhere to go. The only place that I could find was a halfway house on, on South Broadway in St. Louis. So I checked in there. It was not a rehab facility. It was just a straight up halfway house, dangerous part of town. Moved in, lived there for six months, and I've been sober ever since. And that was June 2011. From there, I took the bus to the restaurant every day and started working there again as a waitress. I wasn't allowed to have any more responsibility than that, which was incredibly humbling. So I built this restaurant. It's named after me, I, the whole concept, but now I've got to come back in as just like the low level employee with a manager over me, an owner over me, a team over me, and be humble enough to do that. And so I took the bus every day to work and waited tables and started to build back trust and confidence and eventually came to a point where I said, okay, now I'm ready to get my life back together. I'm going to create a Kickstarter campaign to what? raise money. <laughs> I, I, before we get to the Kickstarter, because yeah. the fireworks are about to start popping as we celebrate your work in your life. And and I want to spend a little bit more time in, in the agony, not to put you yeah. through it again, but man, so many of our friends who listen to this, like they're in the middle of it right now, whether it's yeah. loneliness, despair, hopelessness, disease, addiction, like mm -hmm. almost everybody carries something into their day. And very few people know what that is. Only them. We deal with it on our own. Yeah. So you're 24. You're on top of the world. You're young and vibrant and beautiful and connected and successful, and you're just having fun. And, and I'm curious, when did you recognize that the people who loved you most were right, that you did have an addiction and you were broken and you did need to hit bottom in order for you to find new foundation and move forward? It was just that day that I checked into that house. I think I, you know, I was pretty angry and resentful up until that exact day and that moment when I realized I had nowhere else to go, which I think is the most beautiful place you can be. And anybody going through stuff, and I'm going through some more things personally right now, but these are opportunities when you are down to nothing and no one, it's an opportunity for you to be with yourself finally and those that's where I believe the answers are um, God is love is peace is all of that is in that moment where there's nothing left but you and so you can look at these horrible things that are disease and death and mourning and all of that are incredibly painful but they give us an opportunity to get to a point where we have nowhere else to turn but you know, inward, and it's a very special place, very sacred, special place. And so I hit that point. I was 29. So from 24 to 29 was that downward, horrible spiral. Lots of um, treatment centers, lots of hospitals, lots of horrible things happened. Um, it took a while and eventually got to that point where I was like, oh my God, I'm not, it's nobody else's fault but mine and what can I do and you just finally get to a point where you ask for help you don't really know who you're asking for help from you're just asking for it and I think once you verbally 
once you say that and feel it and believe it and are kind of alone is when mm. the transformation can happen. So yeah, it was, it was, it took a while to get there. When I moved into that house, I had nothing left. I had no money, no car, no phone. Everything I owned fit into a grocery bag that I carried everywhere I went because it's all I had. Wow. Um, so it was a beautiful place. I will never forget that moment. I will never forget that six months living there. As painful as it was, it's the reason that, you know, I, I was able to turn my life around because I had that moment by myself. And then Katie, as, as you have that moment, it's it's the start, but then you got to take a, the next step and then the next and the next. What, yeah. what treatment center or process recovery group did you join to, to get healthier? Oh, I, I had done AA and treatment centers for years prior to that. So that moment was just finally getting to a place to accept that help. So yes, um, 12 step groups, um, prayer, meditation, just getting healthy, doing everything that I could. I walked a lot. One of the reasons was I didn't have a car. Um, and two, it was just a time for me to kind of, well, meditate i mean it's hard to meditate when you're especially when you're raw and new to it all so walking kind of forces you into that so i would walk for 10 to 20 miles a day just by myself just kind of with my thoughts and i you start to sort of get into that flow state where you can process all of everything that's happened to you and where you want to go and manifest things and, and visualize things. And I did a ton of visualization just naturally, not really knowing what it was yet um, that I'm, you know, experiencing right now are all things that I, I visualized during that time while walking. Um, so it was just, yeah, a beautiful time. Again, by, by yourself with your thoughts is, a, is an incredible experience. It's, it's painful. And that's why we all avoid it with our phones and our right. everything else, but it's beautiful. You started partying at age 13. Okay. You started seeking help around age 24. Five years of aggressively failing in this. How long yeah. did it take for, first of all, you to believe that it was real this time? And then how long before those who loved you most recognized Katie's back? We, we can trust her again. I pretty much knew immediately there was a change and I'm going to do this. And I don't have the, the addiction, the obsession has been removed pretty immediately. And I think that happens when you do finally get sober. But um, gosh, it took my friends and family a really long time. I don't think my brother spoke to me for... I mean, they would talk to me a little bit, but we didn't connect back together for about five years. Yeah, it took years, years, years. And I don't blame anyone for that because there was a ton of destruction involved in um, what had what my life had been. So it takes a while, but you just don't even look at it that way. You've got to really look. And that's the wonderful thing about 12-step um, programs is they and Buddhism and all the great religions and everything, all this philosophy of being present and staying the one day at a time. Um, you can't look at the insurmountable mountain you've got to climb, you've got to look at, just do, do the right thing today and, and um, eventually it builds up and you look around and everyone's back. <laughs> 
So I have several friends who've gone through the 12 steps and both of the, well, three of these guys have shared with me in separate conversations without knowing one another that the first time they walked into groups, they were surprised to know other people in that group. <laughs> yeah. Which is a long way of me asking this question. You have gone public with the addiction and with the journey yeah. of sobriety. And a lot of folks choose not to. Why have you why have you held yourself up as an example of an addict and now someone who's chosen sobriety? I think what I talked about earlier, my father was always very vulnerable and open about his own struggles with brain damage, addiction, all business failures, et cetera. And it drew people to him. And he lived in a place of truth and peace because of it. And he was able to help so many people because his wall was down and they'd say, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with it too. Yeah, the, that example was set. And for me, it was like, oh, that's how you do it. You have to share your story so that number one, you're living in your truth and you're not hiding and you're not pretending to be somebody else. And number two, um, you're helping so many people because it is, there's a huge stigma around it. I did wait five years before I came out publicly about it because I knew that coming out too soon, people would be very skeptical. She's going to relapse, et cetera, which is um, your success rate goes up to like 95% five years. So I thought, okay, well then in five years, I'm going to come out because I, there, there is a huge stigma as far as like people wanting to invest in you and partner with you. You have to think about those things, but um, it's been incredible. I would say, I, whenever I do a post like that or an article about my sobriety, every walk of life, everybody comes out privately and says, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with it, or my brother right. is, my sister is. I think it's like, I think it affects almost every single family in some way. And it's a shame that more people aren't talking about it because it's a huge epidemic and a huge problem. And your life is not complete and if you have that problem until you until you can get sober so being able to help people live their true potential and inspire them to do that is incredible and i haven't had any regrets about it whatsoever so we we have had the honor of serving some 2600 clients all around the country and all around the world live at speaking events and when you're done presenting in my role, frequently there's an after party. They, they have dessert, they have beer, they have open bar for all their guests. And yeah. out of all of the clients, the industries I've served, I think the ones who party the hardest and the longest work in the restaurant space. Yeah. It, uh, you, you could almost like parachute me into a ballroom and I could tell you, yeah, uh, the, the, these folks are <laughs> definitely restaurateurs, man. There's a different vibe yeah. and energy and enthusiasm in the room and rare are there sober people in the room you are a leader of an organization you're a leader of hundreds of employees and you live in the space where so many so many may not agree with what you've chosen so i'm just curious how, how does how does it play out where you are sober and and loud about that in an industry that almost celebrates the opposite i think it attracts so many people in the industry because nobody wants to live like that I mean, it's fun for a moment or a night, but they're all suffering if they're truly have this problem. 
And so when they see someone in their industry say this, there's a better way and they're proving it through their action, it attracts them. I have so many people that work for me who are coming from other restaurants, newly sober and just can't handle that environment, need a safer environment, but want to stay in the restaurant business. Um, we've inspired a lot of our teammates to get sober. So it's just, it's, just a beautiful experience and we have a safe place for people who want to be in the industry to go. The industry is like you said, it's the hardest business. There's you're solving a million problems at once um, at a sustained six hours without a break, you know, during a shift and um, a lot of energy and the people that are coming in are celebrating. So you're wanting to celebrate with them. So by the end of the night, you're just completely cooked and it's it is it's hard to not release that energy with the drink and so we just have a rule that it's a dry campus and if you want to have a drink go somewhere else but we don't encourage it um in the space and we get to show people what life can be like when you um are healthy and yeah clear <laughs> so yeah it's so cool to think that you have leaders on your team who have chosen to get healthy because of an example in front of them. Uh, and you mentioned earlier about how risky this restaurant business is and the anniversaries you're celebrating and the customers that you're serving and the, the lives that you're impacting through it. To what do you attribute your continued success? It's, it's hard enough, Katie, as you know, to do it for a year. That's incredible. To do yeah. it for more than a decade in various locations and now around the country, that's very rarefied air. I think it's just everything I've talked about, which is being a being a vulnerable, humble, um, as humble as I can, trust me, in my moments. <laughs> being able to check myself and do an inventory of what have where have I gone wrong? Who do I need to, you know, correct things with? What do I need to correct with myself? That's what I mean by that. But um yeah, just being clear every day, I mean, is a beautiful gift. And doing what I love, I truly love it. I love interacting with people. I love seeing um, people realize their potential and grow in a company. Um, I love food. I love hospitality. So I'm passionate about it. I think anybody that's successful has to have that passion with that thing. And it's really truly not about um, bottom line and money for us. It's about growth and a great product and a great team and a great culture. And how do we every day continue to mm -hmm. develop those things? We never, ever settle. We never think our menus um, complete. We never think the food is perfect. We always think we can do better. We always think we can give a better experience with our guests and our team. So just always learning and growing. Yeah. That's a beautiful answer. I'm going to ask you about a few things that you drop right there. Number one is it's not about the bottom line, which yeah. is very rare to hear a restaurateur or business owner ever talk about. It. It's not about the bottom line. You're like, Dude, what are you talking about? It's completely about the bottom line. So talk about the triple bottom line. I, I, I know because you and I are friends and I love the work you do and, and I love the give back that you're part of. When did yeah. that become part of your culture? Uh, pretty immediately when I opened up Katie's Pizza and Pasta. So I uh, went through um, and so a few years into sobriety, 
did a Kickstarter campaign because they didn't have any money, needed the needed money, needed support, needed to find investors. Through Kickstarter, I found um, a silent partner, Michael Cupstis, who was the former vice president of Panera Bread franchise. Um, he's also the CEO of Lines Choice. Anyway, found him, found a few other angel investors. The community surrounded us with this Kickstarter. So all of these people came in to help support, um, which by the way, we were able to pay everybody back in two years. So it was amazing. We opened this restaurant, Katie's Pizza and Pasta, um, with the support of the community. And I thought, how can we thank them? And also, what have I learned from my life? And you always give back, you always pay it forward. So I came up with the idea for Give Back Tuesday, which is we donate 100% of the earned proceeds to a local charity. And, you know, my life changed when I moved into the halfway house, which was a um, non-for-profit that was helping women get back on their feet. And I got back on my feet and my life changed. So I've got to do that, um, kind of con- pay that forward for others. So we came up with this idea and it was every fourth Tuesday, we're going to do it where every, all the sales um, go towards us. And to date we've donated, um, I think it's 360 or $70,000 to local nonprofits. Yeah. In saying that, like, what, what do you feel internally? Um, there's so much gratitude that comes from those days. The culture has been impacted with our team probably more than anything because of Give Back Tuesdays. Like, I think it's the most important thing we've ever done that we do, not just for the community, but more for our team and how we think about people and life and I think we retain a lot of people because of this because the culture is all about this and um, we attract people and your business is is the people that work for you so that's the most valuable thing to me is how is um, attracting the right people attracting um, creating a great culture and Give Back Tuesdays have done more for that than anything else we've learned or studied or tried to implement. I'll pay you a compliment, but then I'll demand an answer of how you did this. (laughs) When I'm with you at the restaurant, I'm amazed at one, how frequently I see the same people work in there, which is really the type of concept you run. And secondly, how joyful and professional they are. These are young people. But my gosh, they, uh, they're just joyful to do the work they do so frequently. So in addition to the Give Back Tuesdays, to what do you attribute that? What, what keeps these great young employees coming back and showing up and serving and doing mighty things for the guests who are showing up at the restaurants? And, and as you answer, just for our listeners who may not be running their own restaurants, this answer applies to the way you parent and the way you grandparent, and the way you teach your kids in schools, and the way you walk the halls in the hospital. So yeah. this is how you lead people. So it's it's applicable everywhere. Well, a couple of things. Um, you know, my dad's line to my brothers and I every day when he dropped us off for school was, do your thing, be yourself. And so mm-hmm. when he passed away, we thought, oh my gosh, we've got to share this. It's so beautiful. 
Um, so he raised us to be that way. He raised us to live our truth, be ourselves. And so to create a culture where people can do that and be that, um, I think is very important. And we have a lot of people that are just, they come in and they're, they're not, they don't have to fit into a box. They don't have to fit into a, um, a way of thinking or a word track, or you got to see this, you got to do that. We just want you to be kind and be yourself. And so that's been incredibly helpful. And then also we look at our team as our guests. Um, our hospitality needs to start with them and how we treat them and how can we um, listen to their feedback, make the work environment better, make their day better. Obviously within reason, we have a whole group of people that we have to think about but we look at them as kind of the, the their um, feedback and their rating of their experience at work is almost more important to us than the guests. And mm -hmm. so if they're happy and they're having a great experience, that's gonna bleed into their service, which is what you're seeing and experiencing, which is happy people that love their job and have been working for us for years and years and years. And it's a beautiful thing. So I mentioned earlier in our conversation about this wall of guests. Eventually, yes, indeed, Katie, your face will go up there, get ready for it. Don't be freaked out or creeped out by it, but it will happen. One of the faces staring back at me right now is a guy named Brian Buffini. And Brian Buffini is a fifth, maybe sixth generation painter from Dublin, Ireland. And at the end of every job as a kid, his father or grandfather would come across his work, look around at everything he did, and they would ask Brian, Brian, my lad. Can you put your name on it? <laughs> and what, what they were saying essentially was, dude, you got five generations of Buffini painters who've done this work well in order to get it to this point where now you at age 12, 13, 14, find yourself laying out the blue painter's tape and painting these walls and cleaning up. Have you done a job worthy of putting the name Buffini on it? So Brian yeah. learned the idea as a young boy about doing really worthy work today. He runs Buffini and Company out in San Diego. Awesome global organization that coaches up individuals and teams. Great guy. My friend, you have a business with your name on it. So you pull up to work every day and it's not, you know, O'Leary and Sons staring back at you. It's Katie. You, you know, it's, it's your business, your name, your brand. How much weight, how much responsibility do you feel knowing that not only is it your business, it's your name. Oh, a ton. And I think that's why we never settle. I think if it were, <laughs> um, it is my family. It's my dad. It's my brother. It's my mother. It's all of the people there. Um, it's, there's a ton of family and team pride in that name, in the company. And so we just cannot settle. We just always have to be better and grow and learn. And we have, you know, uh, an internal journal journaling thing that we do with the, the managers where we talk about the wins, but we also talk about where we can improve every single shift. And we do it humbly and no one's ever in trouble. And it's like, you know, it's almost like you want to have critiques of yourself and the food and the service because we've seen what happens when you do that. You just get better and better and better. Wow. I think people are afraid to do that and we're not afraid to do it because we are the, the most important thing is is that we 
succeed and we are and it's yeah very cool you lost a couple of dear friends during during covid um, yeah was your father and there's a picture of your dad online that I've seen a couple times and he's this good looking guy tons <laughs> of hair man he had hair coming out of hair um, yeah. what do you remember most fondly about your father you've talked about him a lot and you bragged already about him a lot but when you see that picture uh what, what stirs within you oh he was just so um he got to the point of everything down to its essence he didn't waste time with speculation or trying to figure something out he just knew the answer and it was always really simple and beautiful and he knew it right away I just loved that about him any question I had anything the biggest problem in the world I'd ask him and he'd have he'd always have the right answer and it was always simple and beautiful and so I miss that the most mm -hmm. about him I think we all get wrapped up in like trying to make things too complicated. And he just, he always knew the answer. And I think all dads and mom <laughs> probably do. And that's what we miss about them most. Do your thing, be yourself. Yeah, that's Great that. reminder. <laughs> Some, someone who, who, he did not need your father to understand the power of that because he modeled it in every breath he took was a fellow named Rolando. Yeah. Talk about Rolando to our guests who may not know who he is. So, okay, so there's this guy named Rolando, and he's as important to me as my father. He was a father figure. I met him when I was 10. He was a dishwasher for my aunt, Zoe, um, a Cuban refugee who was exiled from Cuba during the Castro regime. He was a professional baseball player. He was exiled, sent to America, did not know a word of English, was separated from his family, everything, came with nothing. Um, and worked in restaurants and was a dishwasher, like I said, for my aunt. I met him when I was 10. I remember meeting him when I was 10. He was juggling lemons. It's a beautiful spirit, beautiful soul. This is a person who had lost literally everything, his country, his family, his career, his money, and he's in a place and he doesn't speak English. And the funny thing about Romano is he never learned <laughs> to speak English. He was here for, you know, 30 or 40 years and um, never learned it. Just always kept that Cuban. I'm still a Cuban, you know, <laughs> um, and he loved America. Don't get me wrong. He loved it. He loved the freedom. He loved the opportunity. He was very grateful, but he just always was this very Cuban, smoked cigarettes, drank, you know, really strong coffee and had this beautiful spirit where he was always singing and dancing. So I met him when I was 10, had a connection with him then, like a soulmate, like a father. We were always, we always worked together when I worked in restaurants. When I opened up my first place, he came to work with me and he was, it was me and my father in Rolando on that first day, um, opening the restaurant and I'll never forget it. And he's been with me ever since. And I was his only real family here. I was like a daughter to him. I helped him in everything he did. And he helped me by teaching me beautiful lessons about life and love and the world. And um, he passed away on March 4th, 2020 um, with every COVID symptom and everything that you saw on the news, on a ventilator, in the ICU. 
I got to be there with him while he was um, dying. I got to hold him while he was dying, kiss him while he was dying. It was a very beautiful experience. Um, and he's with me every day, just like my dad. They were both very unique people with no barriers. They were themselves. They mm. taught me so much about what you can do when you don't have ever, you know, my father was disabled. Rolanda didn't speak English. He was from another country and they were both grateful and happy and, and lived beautiful lives. Why do I sometimes see shirts around Katie's pizza that read Merry Christmas on them? <laughs> Rolando every day said his greeting, it was like his aloha, his hello and goodbye, <laughs> was Merry Christmas. And there's a couple of ways to interpret this. Um, one is that he was very silly and it was kind of like, eh, Merry Christmas. Um, maybe one of the only, the few words he first learned, who knows? Um, the other interpretation that I kind of like, because he was so proud of the freedom in America, like he was so amazed by it because he had come from this oppressive communist country yeah. and saw what that did. And so he was so amazed by it. And in communist Cuba, you weren't allowed to celebrate religions or express yourself or do anything. So when he came here, the freedom to be able to say and do whatever you want and say Merry Christmas 365 days a year and express yourself. So I think it was more like, this is what freedom is. I can talk about, I can talk and do and be whoever I want. And so it just became his greeting was Merry Christmas. <laughs> So when he passed away, uh, my mother did two beautiful line drawings of my mom or of Rolando and my dad. We put them on t-shirts and on my dad's it says, Do you think of yourself? And Rolando it says Merry Christmas. And it's just kind of like an expression of freedom and and yeah, being yourself. Mm. There are listeners in St. Louis who maybe go to your restaurant. There's listeners around the United States and around the world hearing your voice and listening to this conversation who don't feel free. That like yeah. they don't have freedom to say Merry Christmas or to work anywhere they want, but they don't feel it. And they don't feel um, the raw optimism of a dishwasher who juggled lemons without the ability to speak the language of the individuals watching him. Yeah. So what's the advice? And this will be my final question before I shift to what we call the Live Inspired Seven. But for those of us who feel just beat down and broken down and wiped out right now. What, what's your encouragement on behalf of your dad and your Rolando and everyone else who's helped positively influence your life to them? I mean, I go through this and we're I'm just like, it's like the, I'm just so down and I can't see the light and I can't. Um, so I understand it. I think we all go through it. You can really get stuck in that place and it's so understandable. Um, and it's so easy to get there because life is so incredibly hard. But um, what I do and what I saw from both of them is just simple, the most simple gratitude of just expressing that in maybe a journal or verbally or something or prayer or whatever, but just saying thank you for life or you know, for your breath or whatever, whatever you can find that you can be grateful for, just start with one thing and that seed will be planted and it'll grow into 
um, maybe some more hope for a better day. It's hard to do. I've been there. It is hard, but those two really did it. Um, and that's how they lived. And that's what I do when I'm in those places is can I find one thing that I'm grateful for? And once I do it and once I write it down or say it, all of a sudden the number uh, second thing comes and then a the third thing comes. And before you know it, you're kind of out of that place of despair. Yeah. I want to imagine one of the names you write down from time to time and uh, proclaim loudly from time to time is the name Nadia. Oh my gosh, number one. Yeah. Uh, not everybody knows who the heck that is. Tell our listeners why you love that name, that little person who bears it so much. Make me cry. <laughs> I almost cried when you asked me about Tom and we're together. That's my daughter. <laughs> Let it go, dude. We're sitting in a, in a church, a Baptist church basement right now. You know, my name is John and I have issues too. And uh, I love vulnerability and I love tears. And before yeah. you and I met, I met with a friend who uh, is going through a storm and he and I cry together. And some of your answers got me emotional and I love it. I think it's just so real and yeah, practical to be human. It is important. It's important to shed those tears and get it out. But she is so special to me. Uh, my daughter, she's almost five. And she's just the most beautiful light in the world. And we tried for, you know, almost 10 years to have her. And wouldn't have her if I was not sober and clear and healthy. So thankfully, um, I am. And yeah, she's almost five, and it, it it was a it was a struggle to be able to have her when we were able to have her. Um, just the, the most amazing miracle. These kids are they change your life, <laughs> and um, I just want to be a, a, an example for her, and I want her to have the life. You know, my life was hard, and I went through a lot of struggles as a child and some trauma. And, you know, I go through this thing where I don't want her to go through any of that. I want her to live in this bubble, but look at what has become of my life and other people's lives who've struggled. So I try to just lead. What I'm trying to do is just show her how you survive and how you help yourself and how you can grow and be better because she is going to go through all of those things. Oh, it's so scary. But I, I adore her and love her. Like we all love our children and she's the light of my life. Yeah. Well, Katie, take a, take a bite of the piece of pizza in front of you right now and wash it down <laughs> with, a, with a nice tea. We're going to go through what we call the live inspired seven. seven questions that all of our guests have been asked and have answered somehow. So this is safe. So here we go. Question number one, what's been the most influential book you've ever read? So either the most influential or simply the best, best book you've ever read. Why is this book ever written? The Tao Te Ching. I love it. (laughs) I read it every single morning there. It's just full of um life lessons and wisdom and it's so so wise and so simple and yeah that's it what's one positive characteristic you possessed as a little girl that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today oh goodness I was probably the most confident that was the most confident point in my life I just love you know I do have confidence but that was just 
I just thought I was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I was so confident and did shows and put on performances and loved everybody. And um, yeah, so I met, I would love to have that back. My daughter, Nadia, has said as well. Mm, I hope she doesn't lose it. I, I, I wrote a book. <laughs> I've written two books. The second one's called In Awe. And ultimately I wrote that because my five-year-olds were teaching me how to live. Yeah, the dedication says something to the effect of uh, kids, you taught me this book. And one day when you forget what you taught, I hope you read it to be reminded of who you were and who you can become again. Yeah, that beautiful, uh -huh. not arrogance, no. just vibrancy for life. Yeah. And curiosity and just yes. now I look at her and I'm like, oh, my God, it's just beautiful. It's inspiring. Yeah, she's te they teach you so much. If your home caught fire and all living things are out and Nadia's in your arms, everything's out safely, and you have an opportunity of running in and grabbing one item, one physical thing that mattered to you, what would you grab? Well, I've got my father's ashes back here, so we got to grab him. <laughs> and, you know, I carry a little bit of him wherever I go. So I've got him in the earth back here, but I also carry him wherever I go. And I carry Rolando wherever I go. They're both back there um, in different um, little satchels and I sprinkle them in places either beautiful places like the ocean or the mountains or you know but also if I'm having a moment where something transformative happens to me or I'm near a tree or in the forest or a hike where I just I feel like there's a presence I sprinkle them throughout and I just kind of want them to get out back in the world so Gotta grab those two guys. <laughs> Boys are coming out, man. I'm glad they're safe. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody living or deceased, who would you like to be seated next to? Well, I hate to just keep doing this, but I need one more good conversation with my father. I mean, he was so wise and brilliant and love him so much. So I miss him. And I still talk to him all the time, but we're going to just keep throwing him in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast ultimately is about dad, but uh, Katie will say, you know, a little bit of her life story along the way. So dad, we're glad you're with us. Yeah. So dad is on that bench with you and he's sharing life with you again. And I look forward to that day coming into your life. No time soon, Katie. But I never going to come one day. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best advice your father, Rolando, your mother, or anyone else ever gave you? So the best advice you've ever received is? Oh, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> no matter what. John Lennon might have uh, written that. And if it's not okay, it's not the end yet. <laughs> what, everything's going to be okay. I mean, I say that to myself when I'm going through tough times. So, Katie, it's all going to, you know... It's always, it always turns out, there's always a lesson. It's always going to be better. You just are, you gotta just trust the world and the universe and it's all going to be okay. <laughs> what advice if you could go back in time and whisper some encouragement and wisdom to yourself at age 20, would you give? I guess stop pretending to be somebody else, you know? I think we all do that and we all go through that period where we're trying to be somebody else and there's a lot of destruction that can come from that, especially internally and your dreams and fulfillment and everything. So, oh. yeah. Yeah, 
I know a lot of 20 year olds that need that message, but I also know a lot of folks who have a few more years than being 20 who need to be reminded, stop trying to be who you aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Or what you're so what you think the world is supposed to be or what you see on Instagram and all that. It's hard to live up to. It's hard to live up to somebody else. You know, you gotta. Well, it's exhausting, man. You can't wear a mask the entire life. You start uh yeah. you start losing who you are. So Katie Collier, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your life sentence to read? Oh, goodness. Um, she lived her life in, with truth and love and passion. Yeah. Katie Collier, you have indeed lived your life with truth and love and passion. You are an example, not only to our audience, but to more than 300 people who look up to you each day, including a little four, soon to be five-year-old named Nadia. It's been an awesome honor having you on our show. Oh, thank you so much. I loved it. My friends, that is Katie Collier. My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I told you it was going to be a wild ride full of some remarkable highs and some painful lows, and yet right with redemption and positive second chances along the way. It's great news for Katie, but it's also great news for all of us in our relationships, in our businesses, in our finances, in our health, in our lives. One of my favorite quotes, I'm always looking for quotes from our guests, is this one, do your thing be yourself. It's great advice from a dad to a little girl, but I think it's great advice for all of us to consider living out loud through our lives. Do your thing, man. Be yourself. And another quote, because you know, today it's two for one, baby. You paid for one slice of pizza, but I'm giving you two. Two for one. The other quote is this one. Merry Christmas. It's one of the only words that our dear friend knew in English, but it's one he lived out not only in his words, but in his actions each day of his life. Merry Christmas. My friends, if you are hungry for some more inspiring lessons from business-minded individuals, then you'll love the Entrepreneur's Playlist. You can discover invaluable insights, inspiring lessons from former Starbucks president Howard B.R., Netflix co-founder Mark Randolph, Hint Water CEO Kara Golden, Keeley president, and my dear friend, his name is Rusty Keeley. You know that name because he's a sponsor of the Live Inspired podcast and so many more. Check it out right now. Anywhere that you pull down your podcast or let your fingers do the walking right now, visit me right now online at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. My friends, thank you for cooking with me today. Thank you for igniting possibility with me today. And thank you for believing with me today that the foundation is firm. The headwind may be real, but the best is yet to come. So for this time, and until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. Keelians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at keelycompanies.com.